Yeah, so I'm going all the way back to where Tyler said, just don't say left, final, or right. Obviously, people do that all the time on accident. They're so used to saying left or right, and then they just throw it into the next call. I mean, I'm sure once I was well advanced in my ratings that I screwed up too. Yeah, but no, I agree um, that, yeah, left or right. I know it's not required. The left is kind of insinuated or you know understood as the default pattern, right only when it's applicable. And I understand Scott's point, like, He's flying mostly very uncontrolled. There's very little traffic there. Most time he doesn't make radio calls. So adding one more word, one more syllable is like too much to ask. So that's a little frustrating to me sometimes, but I get his stance on it too. But yeah, I always left when it's left, right when it's right. Everybody's on the same page. If you're talking to somebody, remember there could be people coming to an airport where they're based at a right traffic or one of their runways is right traffic and I don't want them just saying base because that's what's normal, but it's really right. And now we're both the same airport when it's actually left and they're thinking right is correct and it's not. And then they omit that it's that they're on right and you're on a left base that it just gets rid of a lot of, a lot of ambiguity. It just seems like a small price to pay to get everybody on the same page. I don't really know what that is. When I pause and twitch, it picks up where you are now. When I hit play, it doesn't. I don't understand any of this. I have no social media. I have, like I am so inept. I'm trying to learn tech. it it's too. Ridiculous. Yeah, I'm right now. Well, I'm any of it? Trying to block a comment. I don't even know how to do that. Yeah, I don't know. My zodiac sign. Um, what do we say? Gabrielle. Gabriella. Maybe. I'm a Taurus, but I guess supposedly. My moon is like a really like fast moving moon or something, which makes my emotions really fast. I don't really know. It's something like that. She said, what's my zodiac sign? So I started going a little like astrology. I don't know. What do you want from me? You're not contributing anything. I don't know. Is anybody flying questions? I'm just. Yeah, let's talk about flying. Let's get back. TCAS. So I'm pretty sure the TCAS systems. Just stop. Let the big, let let the grownups talk, Rob. Okay. Um, The TCAS system, I believe, and I don't know honestly anything techie about how they talk correspond um there's like an interrogation signal and resolution so they they work it out together the tcas system the overall tcas system um it's an it's a network and so they will talk two two tcas systems can talk to each other and create a mutual like resolution if you will um and i don't know how that is um kind of metered like well, if you have a mode C transponder, which just altitude reporting, so it's your position in altitude reporting is mode C, that will give you obviously enough to to um, mitigate any conflict. But if you have two um, mode S or TCAS systems um, involved, and they both tell you, does it have what you have to do to to mitigate the conflict? I don't know that answer. Like I don't really care. But all I know is they do talk. You do mitigate the thing. If ATC issues a conflicting advisory or resolution, you know, if, if ATC says climb, TCAS says descend, you descend. You always listen to what TCAS says. Um, I have had multiple resolution advisories, RAs they're called, and they will tell you, you know, climb, climb now. Don't, um, don't climb. Don't, don't sink. I'm not sure what the other one is. Maintain vertical speed. Descend, descend now, all kinds of stuff it'll tell you. Um, I've had multiple of those. Typically, when it's happened is if you're doing a parallel approach 
typically to a big to a bigger airport and it's happened to me it's happened every time at charlotte you have three runways three north south runways all going the same same way but if somebody comes through and they're like intercepting the final approach course to a runway adjacent to you they may kind of you know kind of go through it a little bit and kind of get into what's called the no transgression zone don't go in there the traffic, the TCAS system acknowledges that, and it'll give you a resolution advisory. It's really simple. All you, hey, you know, Charlotte, uh, Charlotte approach, whatever, um, deviating for an RA, and they'll say, Roger, or maintain something, or climb, maintain, or turn, or whatever, and you just do what they tell you. And it, it was, it, it was never an event. It was always like, you know, it's. I think both of mine were like a, don't. I, I think maintain vertical speed or. I don't know, but so it'll tell you an oral and it'll also take your on a glass glass panel now, a PFD, it'll take your um vertical speed indicator. So you kind of have like a a sideways lateral vertical speed indicator with a needle, and it will color code it red to avoid and green is where you want to be. So and I remember them being positive, but I don't remember what the actual call out was. Cause when it happens, just kind of like you're you're just kind of trained. Look there, do what it is. Get the get the needle in the green. And that will keep you safe. Um, and I remember they were both like slight level offs or a slight climb, or I think maybe it was a level off. We were on the ILS, so it may have seemed like a little bit of a climb because we were leveling. Not quite sure. But yeah, that that's the only two times that I've gotten it. Um, we're actually going to Charlotte on a, like a parallel approach. But yeah, you deviate, you just tell them. They say they don't really care. They They know the deal. ATC does. And you just move on. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense. I just have never heard that. Oh my gosh, I gotta Yeah, drink it up. What else drink what else do we have? Do we have anything? Do we have anything? Oh no, I just um Thanks. Great review of IFR comms, controlled, uncontrolled, city mouse, country mouse. We have several airports with right traffic one end and left on the other, flying in the wild west of Nebraska. Truly appreciate the calls at uncontrolled airports. Great job, guys. Yeah, the call, if you have like a radio, sometimes interesting to listen. To listen. Yeah, just to listen. Yeah, the only thing, so I would say, um, kind of buttoning up, going into like Marathon, for example, if we were to drive back to that, if I may, yeah. Rob. Yeah. So you have kind of two, two different like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type situations that can transpire because you have the potential of you're on an IFR flight plan. It could be IFR or low enough that you're going to be IFR pretty much all the way into within, you know, maybe a thousand feet above ground level. And so that's, that's an IFR flight. I would say all yeah. the way, you're not going to, you're not going to do anything about it. You know, you're going to be in clouds pretty much till touchdown. All things considered, if you're at 8,000 and the clouds go down to 1,000, that's an all IFR flight. You're not going to cancel. So you're going to go in. You're going to transfer, you know, Miami Center to Miami Center. Keep in mind, keep in mind what that last one is just because I think it, it minimizes communication. If they're already busy, why be the one guy that kind of makes ATC have to reread a bunch of stuff or re-ask a bunch of stuff? Have that all ironed out. It sounds good. It gets you thinking ahead. You, you wanting to sound professional it's like one of the times where you wanting to sound professional actually makes you more professional because you have to go gather those those items and bring them. You have to go look out into space, pick cherry pick those items, bring them to you, write them down, think about them, 
and then regurgitate it when you get to that final controller. So if you think about it, that's one of those times where it actually, you wanting to be professional makes you more professional. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know, manifest destiny type things. So you have that. And then when you finally get within that 1,000 feet, eventually they're going to say, Saratoga 123, you are cleared. I don't know what approaches they have there, but let's say I'm sure they probably have an RNAV. You're cleared RNAV runway 7. Change to advisory frequency is approved. Squawk 1200. So they may say, they may tell you to keep keep the squawk code. They may tell you there's a fill in the blank on a lot of those items. But be prepared for one of their calls to be, you know, fly this heading to intercept. It's it's so orchestrated or scripted, I should say. So scripted. You have a few different variations, of course, but it's the same. It's the same game. It's the same thing that you can practice. And you know what the runways are. A lot of the information they're going to give you is things you can kind of pull from what is happening or from your pre-flight planning. You know, it's seven and two, five. You did the pre-flight planning. So that's not something you really need to have committed to memory. And if you're doing the instrument approach, you have the approach played out in front of you. You know what runway it is. So it's not like something that really needs to take up a lot of, a lot of space and weigh on you to be able to, to recall it, in my, in my opinion. But I've done it so many times. I understand as a new, new IFR pilot, it can be daunting. But it, shouldn't, it should be one of those things that is on your scratch pad. I don't care if you write out the fill-in-the-blank Things you know, kind of like we talked about the with the craft acronym clearance route altitude uh, frequency and transponder code. I don't care if you do something like that. The, the the their statement from ATC is always the same. There are some variations depending on like what is actually taking place, but in in I guess the main scenario, the most complex scenario would be Saratoga one two three. You are three miles from a fix fly heading one five zero maintain 3000 until established cleared RNAV seven at marathon. That is kind of the most complex variation I can think of. It has a bunch of stuff is thrown at you and in, in some of it, you won't have ahead of time, but you'll know the runway You'll know the airport. You'll know the approach. You'll know the altitude for the most part. But the two things that could be a wild card is pretty much the heading and the altitude. You don't need to tell them back the altitude or the, the heading. I'm sorry. Or, I'm sorry. Not the heading. The distance from the fix. The other two you need to because they're kind of changing the clearance on you. And can you shorten it? Will they let you get away with it? Yeah, probably. So that's what they've said to you. So now they've given you a distance from the fix. They've given you a heading to fly an altitude to maintain cleared for the approach. They've given you all of that. A lot of that you probably already know. Maybe you don't, but it shouldn't take up that much room, that much of your faculties to recall. And that's what you have your knee board or your scratch pad for. So omit the distance from the fix. So you're just going to say heading uh, 150, maintain 3000 still seven cleared RNAV seven approach. Saratoga one, two, three. So look how we've shortened that. They've given you a bunch of stuff. Half the stuff it seems like you don't even need to say back. So it can be really smooth. And again, you have a lot of the information ahead of time. And if you're just flying around IFR, in my opinion, you should be kind of guessing what that next intercept is. The next heading they're going to give you to intercept the final approach course. 
Like that should not be a mystery. Like how close you should be guessing. You should be that far ahead. Like you're guessing what the next heading is. You know what heading you want it to be. You should. You should have that idea. So they should give you something, you know, maybe it's further off than, than you want. Maybe it's a bad intercept. Maybe they're having a bad day or the wind's, you know, uh, stronger than they thought or whatever. Um, and they, so, but you should have an idea. You shouldn't say, oh, I'm going to intercept on this heading. And then they give you a 45 degree turn. That's a little, if you think you're going to intercept on that heading and they give you a 45 degree turn, somebody was way, way, way off. And, and that's possible, I suppose. But yeah, you should be flying along, staying ahead of the airplane, staying ahead of what the controller is. And then that's one less thing to remember, in, in my opinion. What do you think, Rob? That's how to do there. Okay. Yeah. No, so, it's all right. It's good. It's good. It's just with the IFR, especially the um any communications, not just IFR, any radio talk, you just you have to do it, at least I have to do it over and over again before I get any good at it. It's just it's very hard to it's very hard to teach and learn without doing. It's a very hands-on skill that's yeah. needed to actually go do it. But I mean right. learning about it um these I've been meaning to do a um a radio episode because these are very popular. The last one we did uh, last last year 2021 was very popular. I got tons of good feedback on it. So I want to do another one and try to do them more regularly, come up with different ideas and stuff. Um, it's such a good format for an audio show as well. But yeah, you gotta you gotta do it. You gotta do it until you've actually fumbled your words a few times on the radio. You're not gonna learn how to actually do it right. I have said so much dumb shit, and I continue to. It's it's. It's an acquired skill, and there's there are the potential for curveballs, and you just got to roll with it, and it just takes time, and you'll never cover all the bases. And I've said this before, that there have been numerous occasions where I'm trying to do something, ATC, and I, you want to be sure that you're both on the same page. And what you have to do, be like, look, this is what I'm trying to do. Get rid of the really you know prim and proper... Uh, all the like really robotic communication that sounds great, sounds slick, sounds professional. Eventually, if they're if you're unsure that you're understanding each other, and most time you do want to be what I was trying to do in the, in this case, we need to be on the same page. <clears throat> There's not much room for misunderstanding. Not that there ever really is, but especially this case, you want to make sure just break it all the way down. Just English, just level with the other person, talk to them like they're a human being because they are. And I think that's an important distinction. And I was trying to kind of make that a little bit earlier that, you know, when you add that little bit of have a good one at the end of a, uh, when you're getting, uh, when you're transferring from (laughs) one controller to another, drink it up. When you're transferring from one controller to another, having that little bit of uh, correspondence, um, and not treating them like a robot, I think that keep making sure that that concept is apparent. There's a lot of anxiety for new students talking to ATC so much, especially when they've learned to fly, like in a place similar to where Rob and I have learned to fly, where it's very uncontrolled. And there's there is a very much so like a duality of like 
flying personalities. You have like Wild Wild West Cowboys, let's go fly the islands, um, bush type flying. And then you have like hardcore IFR operations. And so you have these two things you're trying to like work with, work within and find yourself and your technique and how you are going to conduct yourself. So Rob and I kind of being brought up, uh, I guess, more on the wild, wild west side of things. And obviously Scott still is that um, you can have a lot of anxiety coming into getting into really busy airspace, controlled airspace. And I think it's important as an instructor helping boil that down at the, on the private pilot level so that you, there are, there are, there's phraseology and parallels that make sense. Like there's definitely breadcrumbs that it's like, not like, okay, I'm just going to tweak what I'm saying. Now I'm just saying it to somebody specific and they need to tell me back what I would have said out loud myself. That's what I was trying to say earlier. That same concept really carries into the in route environment. You know, hey, uh, okay, contact Miami Center 132.4, Saratoga 123. Have a good one. Take care. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, whatever the case may be. Adding that little personal touch goes a long way. And then when it's there's a little bit of a for lack of a better term, communication breakdown, and you just turn into just, you're talking to another person, talking to another human being, it helps have that personal touch to it. And, and you've had it all along, I guess is the bottom line. You've never treated them like they are the cops, like they are uh, a robot. I think that, that I think really helps. When you're in a position where you're at a really busy airport, a lot of taxiways, a lot of runways. You don't want to cross. Just boil it down. Talk to them like a human being. Same thing in route. Yeah. Um, you have the chat right now? I do. Okay. Psych Freak has a What's question. Up? I need to go to the restroom and grab another yeah, beer. Yeah, um, if the chat yeah. Yeah, keep the questions coming or I'll just ramble, guys. Yeah. Chat's chat's going chat's going pretty strong. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm prepared. I'm prepared. So, um... As a VFR pilot, sorry if this is a silly question, but do any of the final IFR calls change with, with an E to the surface uncontrolled field? Doesn't seem like it would, but also not sure. No. So um, you're still going to end up going to CTAF. And those are, I mean, relatively rare, all things considered. Normally we have like an E to a G if it's something like that. And then you typically, a lot of times, just skip basically to a D. The E's to the surface are pretty rare. They're definitely out there. I think we have like, we may only have two or three in Ohio, like com- totally. Um, we have a fair amount of airports. I think we have like 80-something out of airports, 88. I think one for every county maybe, minus a couple. So we're probably like 85 solid like airports. Um, we only have three in the state of Ohio. So they're not common. But you wouldn't change it. Um, it's the same CTAF frequency. So the controlling agency, um, the overlying controlling agency, look at your approach plate, of course. Is going to be a center controller or a uh, approach controller for like a, probably a. If it's a class E airport, it's probably relatively suburban of a bigger facility. Would be my guess. Um, so yeah, you're probably going to go from that center controller to that approach controller, and they'll hand you off to CTAF. Yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't be any different. Um, 
it just yeah, just expect it to be a slightly busier positive control. Like that I try to like with students, I try to term them not just controlled, uncontrolled, but like a positive control, meaning there's a control tower. Yeah, there's a flight service station likely at that class E airport, but there's no control tower typically. Sometimes there can be like an interim tower. I've seen that, which is weird. Um, so that's notums. Notums come in there. But yeah, for the most part, there's there's no difference. Uh, then, then Tyler, uh, I've been I've understood it best when entering the CTF on an instrument approach to keep your call simple and not overload the BFR guys. RNF three four Yankee. Oh, is that what he's saying? Oh, you're talking from our. Oh yeah, Brunswick. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, we go there and they're off. And that's a busy airport, St. Simon Island. Yeah, that's a busy one. <laughs> Get another drink. Um, yeah, it, you want to feel good because you're you're as a IFR pilot. If you're doing predominantly like ninety nine percent of your operations are IFR, you want to put in all this information, and the VFR guys don't care. The, the guy on downwind doing his 172 and they're doing, you know, 15 laps in an hour in the pattern, just trying to knock out landings for their private. That instructor, that's first off, that student doesn't even hear you. You're just vapor to them. Two, that instructor's like, dude, I just want to make my downwind call. You're taking up, you know, 15 seconds of precious air, you know, air time where I need to be making a downwind call or a base call or whatever, saying simulated engine out, whatever. So yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. For, for, yeah, I w- yeah, I agree, Tyler. Don't don't overload it. To simplify it, approximate your distance out. You know, just like you normally would VFR. You know how many how many times do we often how many times do we call the ten miles out? I know I never did. We always did like five miles. Like if you're in a King Air Palatus, something that's going pretty quick, ten miles out makes sense. But if you're in a one seventy two, five miles out is plenty. That's several, several minutes out. That's two, three minutes away from a conflict. You call me out in a 172, 10 miles out, you're like five minutes away. I can't figure out where I'm going to be in the pattern when you call out 10 miles away. I understand that's what the FAA says, what the AIM says, but five miles, I can much better approximate where I'm going to be and what kind of conflict you will be if you enter downwind when you call me two minutes ahead of time. You call me five or more minutes away, I don't know where I'm going to be. It takes about five minutes to do a lap in the pattern, it seems to me, if I remember correctly. That's that's real, That's real. just tough. That's just tough to me. But 10 miles is what they say. But yeah, five miles out. So if you want to call five miles out, which is typically about our final approach fix altitude or uh, distance, like four to seven, I think is typically our uh, final approach fix distance from the airport. Um, calling somewhere around in there. And again, now you're doing a straight in now. So, you know, you're not flying these legs and it, and it presents its own challenges. But yeah, five miles out. Don't name the fix. Nobody cares. Like the VFR guys don't care. You're just kind of inundating them with data that they don't care about. Doesn't tell them any real information that's pertinent to them. I was thinking that too. We did that coming back into Foxtrot 45. What's um, that? Called the fix. And I just, I'm like, it's not bad because there's a lot of people who know that fix, but I'm just like, if I was a VFR guy, if I wasn't staring at the Garmin and Foreflight on an iPad on my knee right now, I wouldn't know what, I don't, I wouldn't know where this plane was based on the fix. Right. I, 
like obviously the distance from the runway, I get a good idea. Um, yeah, which was a part of the call, but the actual fix, I'm like, I have no idea what that means. If I'm if I'm a VFR guy, like not not time and place though. If you were listening far enough out, so let's take some forethought, or like you're like really with it, and you know there's a lot of instrument training, or you've heard you heard it again. That's the forethought, listening in early, paying attention to what's going on around you. If you know there are other aircraft conducting multiple instrument approaches to the same uh, active or landing runway that you're planning, maybe making that call is easier. But like the actual fix, the name of the fix. Um, maybe makes better sense because then the other people conducting these approaches are like, oh yeah, I know about where he is. I'm oh, I'm over that too. Whatever that checks that box. And then when you then follow it up with a mileage count from the runway threshold, that kind of clues in the VFR guys that aren't kind of doing on the same wavelength. You're covering all your bases. I get that. I think as a general rule, probably just doing your mileage is probably best. And those are all so approximate anyways. Like, I mean, you hear guys, oh, I'm 3.9 mile final. Like, okay. Like, yes, if I'm 4.1 and you're 3.9, I know we're not going to hit each other, probably, but we need to make some adjustments so that we don't. Um, I get that. The, the, the minutia, the micrometer aspect of that, I don't like. If you're that close and it's a busy day, maybe it makes sense. I wouldn't get too hung up on those things. Hopefully, it's not that tight. But if it is, it's just time and place, the scenario. I did, yeah, I definitely don't add the decimal when making those calls. I just, I don't feel not like Not as that. a general rule. I don't feel unless like that's you're trying helpful. to. Yeah, unless somebody says, I'm on final for the ILS, you know, 2 7, and like, oh, me too. Where yet? You, you know, then when you need to start dialing in and make sure there's not a conflict, that would be. Now, if you're IMC, ATC has you spaced anyways. But if it's VFR day and everybody's out under the foggles practicing, and you, I mean, I've, I've done an instrument approach. I'm on an ILS, um, going to Jamestown, New York, ILS, I want to say 2 5. We're on an ILS, and this dude calls, he's over the final approach fix. I'm like, shit, we're over the final approach fix. And I look, and I'm, I'm scanning, scan like normal, anyways. And I look, it's like, this dude's in a 182, like right down below us, off to, slightly off to the right. And I was on the right side of the airplane. Would have never seen him. This is when you were instructing in the 206 Anfib, right? You told the story yes. before, yeah. He's like right there. And I'm like, holy shit. Like this could have been bad. And it's just like, I'm glad the dude's making radio calls. He didn't have to. Yeah. But so, I mean, it happens. And if you're so, if you're trying to get a grasp on spatial orientation amongst a couple of people, throwing that decimal point in there is valid then. Most time, omit it for sure. Yes. Tyler Brunkhorst is asking if I have a summer summer shanty going. Yes. It was the only canned beverage I had in my fridge, and I wanted to make the crack sound in the mic. I feel like it hasn't been done in a while. So I grabbed that instead of the I'm going to do another one one in a second. Okay. Summer shanty. I live in Florida. Shanty, shanty. Shandy. Summer shanty. shanty. That's where we stay in the summer. It's a little shack on the lake. Yeah. It's the summer shanty. Shanty. Whatever. Isn't that summer? Whatever. Summer shandy with a D. Delta. What is a shandy then? I always thought this was talking about summer shacks. 
by the lake. That's what their whole logo. It's, a, it's, it's a, the logo. It's an Very image of a, of a shanty next to a ski boat on a lake. And it must be summer, presumably summertime. Yes. Summer shanty. Those, Tyler, we need that on pilot ground. Those look like Dra- evergreens. That well, are up evergreens north. are evergreen. Yeah, north. Yeah, up north. Yeah, yeah. So we need Tyler. We need a summer shanty. No, I need to see that. No, uh, that this is, uh, don't, label. We're overworking, Tyler. We appreciate. We, we appreciate. Sorry, Tyler. I just i i. He's on it. He's he's on it. Yeah. I took the classes in college to do some of the stuff Tyler does, and I just how's that? Going? He's way better than at it, obviously you than th- I am. You think? But when when he, he whips this shit up for fun, when he take you a when week. he does it, I like know the process it would take me to do something semi comparable, and it just is so much work because <laughs> I don't know how to use the in, Adobe InDesign line. I could never get to work for me correctly, and there's too many buttons on Photoshop. Okay. Oh my dear lord. Yeah. Uh what's guys in the chat, let's let's talk. I want I want to talk. Yeah, we're talk. gonna wrap this up at uh at, we are? at ten. At ten. Oh, at ten. How much time uh, do we have? Unless the chat oh, man. unless the chat dies down, then um we're gonna well, wrap it right. up sooner. Um, okay. so we got a few more moments here. At, uh, 12, 11, 12 20, minutes left. 23 viewers. Tyler's apparently doing f- in design work now. Photoshop work on <laughs> beer cans. Uh, so he might be out of the chat for a moment until he comes up with something. But uh, we, uh, did we miss anything up? Up? I, I the, said up. The last thing I have on mine is Tyler saying on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going up. I'm just going to scroll up in the chat and see if we. Okay. In case I throw this in somewhere. No, we're kind of shut up. It's good turnout. All right. So, um, Oh, hey, y'all done a... Um, Psych Freak says, hey, have y'all done a flight following episode? I'm catching up on episode 89. Did we end up doing one? I don't know. I don't even remember. We've had conversations about doing them. I don't actually recall. I don't think we actually have done one. And I'm sorry that we can't commit to whether we have or have not. No. But um, it's it's come up on pilot ground, right? The flight following. We've had conversations about that. Um, I don't know that that could be a portion of an episode, I think, because we covered a lot. Like when we do these, we, you always end up kind of, you know, going off in these little tangents that cover a lot of ground on either side of the VFR, IFR spectrum. And I, I think we've given I, probably a fair amount of food for thought, you know, for, for VFR operations today as well. Um, flight following again, like I like to draw those parallels is, Treat your VFR flying, and you're talking about flight following, which I understand. But for people who, um, or instructors, I guess I should really be talking to instructors about this. If you can get your student using flight following and maybe tweaking and being specific in the language, it will help the transition to IFR a lot. Um, but you know, it's always that you know who you are, where you are, what you want to do. Those are the big things. If I mean that's. That's almost a. That's the lesson. That is really the lesson. Know the frequency to call, and what their what their name is, and then you know who you are. You know where you are and what you want to do, and just tell them that. And that's pretty much it. I've never done flight following. I've done a lot. 
done it a ton. Have you? And I and I, I mean, I, and I recommend it's another set of eyes on you for sure. You know, if you're in a non TCAS, non mode S, non uh, ADSB in situation, which is getting more and more rare. But if you are in that situation, man, even if you are in, in if, even if you have all of those assets, it's another set of eyes and it gets you interacting with the national airspace system, gets you used to and comfortable talking with ATC. And man, that will just pay dividends in the future when you have an abnormality, an emergency. There's weather. There's something with the airplane, something with you. Uh, I it just, it, it just, you can't having that bond in that comfort level with ATC, being able to ideally using kind of the phraseology, the standard phraseology, that really smooth, polished interaction is great. But don't be afraid to just level with them, plain English, get your point across, get yourselves understood. That is paramount. Ideally, you can get that your point across using this phraseology and the real professional talk and uh, whatever. Obviously, that's that's good and you sound good over the radio, but you need to get your point across clearly. Um, and that's the bottom line. So when you can get that comfort level um, and, and see them as just another human being on the other end of the microphone, that's that's when that's when you've uh, that's where that's the goal. That's where you want to be. Get comfortable there. And it's tough. It takes a lot of time. Yeah, I don't knock it. I just, I've never done it. Um, I remember my instrument. I went to a 141 school for my instrument uh, after going cowboy style. Not cowboy style, but it was very stick and rudder type training. Yep. And I had a partner. Yep. Angle and I were both learning in. 1970s, 150. Okay, so uh-huh. this is 1970s. Angle and I were born in the 80s and learned uh-huh. it when we were teenagers. Mm-hmm. And so this aircraft was from the 70s. And yep. I remember, because I would fly into Burke Lakefront to the mm-hmm. uh, the school. So obviously mm-hmm. they knew, I wasn't using my plane for training, but they were aware I had a plane. I think I took one of the instructors up one time. And he was teaching me about how you can look up all of the, the flights all the every time it's filed the flight plan for the history of the tail number, and he's all prized punching in my tail number of the plane I just landed, and there's nothing. Yep, my bet. Nothing. Two people had yep. two guys had gotten their private pilot's license certificate certificate pilot yes. private pilot certificate uh, within the last year, and it from the seventies. So it's, previous owners and stuff never once in its entire history had ever been on a flight plan and he, mm-hmm. he was shocked and I was just like what are you talking about why would you do a f- what and like it was just, it was very interesting ordeal and then I remember I was working on my commercials this was after this I'm like oh I'll do flight following because I was flying over Lake Michigan because I was going to go I was coming back from Oshkosh uh, back to Ohio uh 88 Delta, where Precaution is, just kind of reverse. And so I was trying to get to, to 88 Delta post Kosh. And there were storms cutting me off from the south end of Lake Michigan, which goes up and down, right? That's the one. It's the up and down yes. lake. Yeah. Yes. I'm yes. just sec- second guessing myself. So I'm like, okay, I got to shoot across the lake because I'm like, I got to get home, get the itis, all that good stuff. 
So I'm like, I'm going to fly over the lake. You know, I don't even have milk jugs with me. Mm. And so I'm like, oh, I guess I'll get flight following at least. So that way, if they crash, I can at least send the Coast Guard. And um, so I'm, I'm climbing up, get as much altitude as I can kind of before as I'm going over there. And I call Chicago to get flight following. And as soon as they realized I was a 150 requesting flight following across the lake, they just ignored me. Uh, never responded to any of my radio communications uh, after that point. So that's the closest I've ever come to to doing flight following. <laughs> that's interesting. I've never had an issue like that, and I've done it a lot. And that that's a sp- very specific airspace, you know, Chicago Center or Chicago. Well, there's Chicago Center, but I don't know who you called. I don't know who you called, but between like Milwaukee approach, Chicago approach, and all the different approaches, and where Center falls in, and Cleveland Center. Who the hell knows? Yeah. But yeah, I've never had any issue where anybody's divide, um, denied me flight following. It's a it's a great tool. They, I didn't, mean, just, they didn't deny me flight following. They, they, did, well, you, they ignored they just my answer. existence once they realized I was a 150. How did you come across their frequency as the frequency to call? I guess I'd be kind of my first. I know it was a long time it was ago. Like, so. uh, it was a sectional chart. There's no four flight or anything back then. So it was like whatever. Yeah. Whatever frequency would have been listed in the sectional chart for for that area, I was basically I, I the center, or did you call an approach? Uh, I I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember. Okay, okay. I didn't actually go in and out of Oshkosh with the plane. Uh, I was in yeah, and out of right, Appleton. Right. Most yeah, most people don't. I didn't yeah. want to deal with any of that. Oh, for sure. So yeah. I, so whatever I took off from Appleton Airport and just went straight east and yeah. climbed as high as I could before I hit the lake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, summer shanty down the Yeah, summer shanty. <laughs> down the hatch. Down the hatch. Dude, I got um this is the first time this year. Oh, and actually literally in 2022, Labatt Blue Light kind of Canadian it's a Canadian beer Canadian Pilsner kind of our go-to yeah for going up to the uh the lake house but they have a Labatt Blue Light Lime which is delicious I don't even know if this summer Shandy I Mm. I learned it just now the proper pronunciation of this I don't even know if they're out with this yet this was bought last spring Mm. was put aboard a yacht Mm-hmm. Was take the yacht was taken over to the Mediterranean all summer, mm-hmm. and then came back, and it's expired, and I got it for free. So it's not the best rendition of summer summer shandy I've ever had, but it'll do. Yeah, no, I, I'm I, I'm sure they're out by now. They're okay. so far ahead. All right, I'm sure they are. If so don't tell anybody ex- expired, and you could you could feel fine just giving that to a guest. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here we go. Feline wings. Um, we got you. Got to really think about what you're saying because, like, you don't want to mispronounce somebody's username. The, the, yeah, it the, looks like feline. I watch wings. some other stuff where you can like the Twitch. Yeah, I feel like we should get more creative. Like Pilot Ground, we want people using their real names and like keep it classy. YouTube, everyone kind of uses their own name, but Twitch is like a free for all. I'm surprised we don't have funnier names. 
popping we'll up. see. Well, we'll see what happens with the Elon and Twitter. I mean, it's going to be very interesting how the ecosystem evolves. Yeah, we may add anyways, Twitter I, to our rotation if Elon takes over at least 35% of the company. That's that's the threshold when he's yeah, over 35%. I, I just threw it up there. He's got nine now. Elon bought yeah, nine. Yeah, nine. We got a ways to go. If he starts, if he goes through 35% and it, it looks like he's going to buy more, we might we might add Twitter mm-hmm. to our, our rotation. Well, at, so I'm just saying at 9%, he's got majority. So maybe 35 is a pretty high bar. Yeah. I, it's probably not that he couldn't afford it, per, you I, know, but. I want it to be high because I don't want to be on Twitter. I don't like Twitter. Well, well I, I get that. Well, yeah, but you might have a reason to start liking it. Yeah. Let me read this comment, though. Okay. Um, um, always encourage pyreps as well as flight following. So much feedback from reporting pyreps always has been helpful as I fly in the black hole of weather reporting. Very few ASOS and AWOS. Um, <laughs> she goes, I love cats and I and I feel my wings don't judge. Yeah, no, that, no, no, that's awesome. Not judging the username. I just want to make sure I was reading it correctly. Just want to make sure I was reading it correctly. Um, what do you mean by uh, black hole of weather reporting? I mean, I understand what you're saying. You followed up with very few ASOS and AWOSs. Yeah, like, I get that. Don't dox yourself, where? but like general area. Where, where is there? Right. Yeah. Alaska is that uh, a sparse area? Areas out west, I think there's a lot of areas that are sparsely. Don't have as much resources here as the yeah. east of the Mississippi, where we do most of our flying. Um, yeah, um, I don't know. Is he saying old ass student? What STD private pilot, standard private pilot from Leesburg? I don't know what he's saying. Le- I don't know. It's Captain John Frost. I I have more important things though. Are you? You don't. You've never had any pets, really, Lee. Are you more of a cat or a dog guy? I, so, so my wife had a dog when her and I first started dating and we still have that dog. Um, he is getting old. Okay. Like 12 or 13 years old now. I like dogs from a, um, the protective nature and stuff like that. Like, I guess, you know, crime or break-ins go down like 30% if you have a dog, like almost no matter what it is. So that's kind of cool. Uh, I do like that. I would, I like to have a, black lab or yellow lab or brown lab or chocolate lab rather. Yeah, I probably would, but I'm sick of cleaning up the damn hair. We vacuum every damn day. You don't get the, so, the Roomba or something? Scott's got dogs. We don't he, have a Roomba. He does the robots. People accuse My Scott, sister. People are jokingly accusing Scott of being a robot on pilot ground now, which is hilarious. But um, he does, he obviously is real, but he does have a lot of robots in his home for cleaning purposes. <laughs> He's got a, if you think about it, his life is very automated. He does voice to text at work. Yes. Scott. Everything. He's very automated. Yeah. He's a, we need to think about this. He's a very a automated more. man. Um, I found out you had a dog. You probably told me at some point, but I found that I refound this out recently and I was kind of like, yes. wait, you have a dog? Yeah. Wait, it you was, have a dog? Yeah. It was very surprising to me. This was like a I month know. ago on the beach when you were down here in a layover, I think you told me. And I'm like, what? You mm-hmm. have a dog? Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm more of a dog guy. You, you, um, I didn't want to phrase that incorrectly. You pointed out savannah cats to me years ago yes and if i ever so, if i ever get a cat 
It's going to be like an yes. F1 or an F2 Savannah Cat. Yes. Those things are Love sweet. It. Yes. Jump on top from the ground to on top of your refrigerator and one jump. That's what I'm talking about. And I, I, I do like cats. They're clean. They don't smell. They're minimally intrusive. If you want to cuddle, they'll cuddle all day long. My now my our like our dog, he's pretty much like a cat. He just curls up on the couch all day long. But other than that, he's all dog. He he, he smells and it's just cats are just a much better experience. Yeah, you got to do the litter box thing. Small price to pay, I think, for all of the other all the other benefits in my opinion. I don't want to say I'm a cat per a cat guy, but man, there are definitely some upsides to cats. How many? Well, cat uh, Scott. How many cats does he have? He's got like seventy. It's he's, ridiculous. He's, well, they got a lot of freaking. They have a lot of animals in general, anyways. Oh yeah, yeah. Goats, chickens, swans, dogs, cats, goats. Like the little pygmy. Don't they have the pygmy goats? Yeah, so, I'm pretty sure they have pygmy goats. You. I just feel like when you're a outdoorsy family that lives on hundreds of acres of land, you just end up with a bunch of crap, like animal-wise, that your kids want. Because you have the land for it. It's like, oh, we want a goat. It's like, all right, use it. Land over there to build a goat pen, I guess, if you want. (laughs) Go for it. You know, it's not like down here in Florida where it's like, where are we going to put all these animals? It's like, this guy's got plenty of room. Right. Yeah. He can he can set stuff up and it's like it's so f- it's on his property but so far away from his house he doesn't even doesn't even yeah. remember it's there. Right. Right, right. It's a different world as far as animal collecting goes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. I I mean I like I want a cat right now. Like I just just cuz it's a different personality. A what? I guess is what a, a cat Okay, I would I would do a cat. I would only do a cat. the the Savannah cats the one that interests me because they're a they're, they're sweet. They're, man. They have the demeanor. A lot of aspects is the demeanor of a dog from the research I've done, and mm-hmm. and the dog we've I said we we're gonna go till ten, so this is just bonus. If we're not talking flying, well, we apologize. Um, well, there's more that this, I want to talk about in the chat. Here this is just time. interesting to me. Um, okay. But the Savannah cats, it just. So they have somewhat the meaner of a dog, and mm-hmm. it's very exotic looking if you get the F1, F2, even though they're pricey. Right. And yeah. I've always thought that was hilarious. The servals, like they're they're the, they're the so the those are the generations removed from the African serval. Yeah, right. The Savannah cat comes from an African serval and a domestic cat. They breed them together. The first mm-hmm. first child off of that. Is an F one. F one. Yep. And then they can breed another domestic cat. I think off of that is the F two, and it yeah. goes to F five. But by the time you get to F five, it's just like it's, yeah, another main it's not really exotic anymore. It's just kind of like a cool yeah. regular cat. Yeah. But the F ones are just right. like really ridiculous. Like the the most interesting man in the world commercials where he's he's like cooking eggs on his island kitchen and like a tiger jumps off and he's like hit it so with the spatula is like no tiger get off of the counter you're not allowed to sit on the counter while i make eggs like the tiger in real life would just maul the person who did that but the savannah cat would be like could jump up there and i don't know i just feel it's just such a cool cool thing yeah say no snowball get down yeah that's yeah so it's it's yeah it's 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 not exotic it's not really that exotic anymore 
but it's a big freaking cat. Yeah, it looks which has huge. Some wild. They are huge. I've seen. So there's a breeder. I'd been to a breeder's house before, and they had some uh, servals actually, and maybe they were maybe they're F ones, but they're huge. I mean, they were almost greyhound size. I would say almost. Yeah. Maybe that was a little bit of an embellishment because it was a long time ago, and I kind of don't really remember how big gray. We actually have some friends who have greyhounds, but it seemed to me they were very, very big, very greyhound size. But who the hell knows? Yes, it'd be sweet. Yeah, but I like cats. They're they're just clean. They don't take up any room, really. Yeah, you gotta do the damn litter box. Yeah, if I do cats, it's gonna be it's gonna be Savannah cats. My next dog is gonna be Doggo Argentinio. So got a couple of those. I would do like a Rhodesian Ridgeback. I would like to have one of those. We have some friends who have one of those too. German. I would. I don't know if I'd do a German Shepherd, but I think either. I think probably a Lab. Yeah. Some type of Lab I would do. Yeah, Silver Lab, Chocolate Lab, any of the Labs. Um, private. So Flat Slab says he has a private pilot checker on Saturday. Good luck. Um, I hope the weather does work out for you, man. It seems like everybody's having trouble between DP and in availability. And weather. Everybody's just getting screwed. It seems like. this is a tough time of year. You know, if they're in flying in any professional capacity other than being a DPE, which a lot of them are, a lot of them are corporate pilots or they fly for a 135 or they're an airline pilot, whatever. Man, everybody's just getting run ragged. So everybody seems to be having a lot of trouble getting um check rides scheduled. So I hope yours works out, flat slap. Um Tyler said he's got the image up. I haven't looked at it yet, but um, so feline wing says look up by Nebraska South Dakota border. That's regarding the uh, the weather lack lack, yeah, of lack of weather reporting black hole of weather reporting was the lingo you that makes sense those rural areas I totally get that that's where a area forecast like used to be uh, worthwhile until they got rid of it um, but there's all the other tools um, but that's tough that doesn't make you feel good when you're Thinking about, you know, I'm going to fly IFR, you know, what's um, METARs, you know, you need your AWOS at least for a METAR, you need ASOS as far as AWOS, ASOS, I'm sorry, or AWOS 3PT, um, I want to say for uh, TAF. Um, most, most of the time, if you have a TAF, you have an ASOS. You can get a METAR out of an AWOS, but you need the ASOS for a TAF. There are obviously some... Um, that looks like a hillbilly beer, Tyler. <laughs> perfect. Uh, Captain Burger, John Frost says... Oh, go ahead. Burger go ahead, Summer Shanty. It's, it's like West Virginia... There's this weird. There's I can't a, wait to see. I can't wait to see my phone. I don't want to. There's this. Ho- there's this house. I remember drive because I drive back and forth from Florida, Ohio, and I go through West Virginia, and there's this shack that looks like people live in it off of the highway on this hill, and it looks just like that. Like the photo was taken just off of that. I see it every time well, I do the drive. I notice it. That could be my dream home. I don't know. Maybe I want a cabin in the woods. Um, Kevin John Frost, sorry I meant returning student pilot in spite of the entertainment. I learned a great deal from you guys. Keep it up. I hope you do. I try for that. Uh, I drop the ball a lot. Um, we're all human. Just want to say that. Tyler, how many yeah. birds? A lot of birds. There used to be more birds than there are now, though. Scott, Papa Boris used to have a 
bunch of birds. He's into uh, birds. And scaled back tremendously. Like didn't didn't he didn't he have did he have peacocks? I think they still got a couple peacocks, but there was like okay, there was right. a few years though where it, like the hobby peaked, um, and I was still keeping a plane there and flying, and it was just it was bizarre. Like you'd have to do a buzz over the runway just to clear out all these random exotic birds that were just running around the grass, like before you could yeah, actually come exotic, in and laugh. Peacocks and turkeys. Yeah, I, he had weird Let's stuff. Like exotic birds that would fly and survive in Ohio climate. Mm. They'd order the eggs off of eBay. Like he still does a little bit, but he was like ordering like a ton of eggs <laughs> off eBay and then he'd hatch them. <laughs> Let me. <laughs> and it was like, it was just, it was a bird bizarro airport land for I, like a year. No, or two I remember. There. Yeah. I, yeah, I remember. I remember. You're on short file. Take a look to the left. And there's a bird cage. It's like what the. F- well, that yeah, that, that whole hangar by Gleason's hangar. Yeah, like Gleason has his hangar. Well, this is for Lee. Basically, try to explain to Lee. Nobody, most people in the chat here don't know this hangar I'm talking about. But Gleason's hangar. Um, and then behind there's the like the public hangar that, for at some point, was rented out to random customers to keep their airplanes yeah. in, uh, tea hangers and stuff. That was all converted to bird bird stuff, like to section off the different birds that uh, don't get along. And then they're just like way more birds just wandering the property everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. Was, yeah, I remember I remember I was going, I, w- I woke up early one morning back when I worked for them and I was pulling pulling motorcycle parts to sell them, to, to ship them out like early a.m. And I was in one of the warehouses hangers converted to a warehouse and there was just in the middle of the night it was like four or five o'clock in the morning i could make my like make my own schedule which is was amazing so if i woke up early and couldn't sleep i just go in work so i get 10 hours in and leave by noon and i remember there would be peacocks in this warehouse in the middle like super early in the morning when i was by myself and it freaked me out Oh, I can't even imagine. Yeah, because there's no lights or anything, because it's just hangers converted into parts warehouses. So you're running around with a flashlight. They got better buildings now and stuff. But back then, back in the old day when they started the business, you know, you're running around these warehouses with a flashlight, like converted big hangers, and it's just like there's just these random exotic birds start screaming at you in the aisle when you're trying to pull a an alternator off of a CB550. It's like what. <laughs> yeah, it's like might as well be a velociraptor as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I'd be so freaking out. Oh, it was very unsettling. Oh my god. But the sad thing is it would happen often enough we just kind of got used to it. Or like I'd be no. by myself and that and something started screaming at me and be like, it could be an axe murder. I was just so numb to it by that point. It's just like whatever. It's probably just a bird. <laughs> I hope, yeah, right. Right. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's another so rattlesnake. You may have heard us uh, talk about that before. Rattlesnake Island. They also so they have a east west strip. It's like 1,500 feet, and that's one of the island airports that that uh, the company used to fly. And Jeff works for now, and Ryan flies for part time, whatever. Um, they have peacocks and shit running around up there too. Do they? And it's like, oh yeah. And it's like you don't have any 
room to play around with if you have to like you can't just like oh there's a peacock and just keep it keep the nose up and then drive back down and land on the other side it's grass 1500 feet it's just not 1500 feet sounds good when you have land underneath you on each side of the 1500 but no 1500 feet on this is a cliff there's no other it, it's 1500 feet cliff to cliff in like like right in the water like right in the lake yeah there's no yeah there's no uh yeah you you need to be landing pretty pretty quick, and uh, so you can't. So you, it'd be a go around. But yeah, typically the the general consensus is you know do your, and you should when you don't have weather reporting, you should do a flyover, see what the wind's doing. I get all of that, uh, and, and that is that is SOP for sure at that airport, because with without any room to play with, uh, you know you wanna land on whatever the the prevailing wind is going to help you the most on. And it also gives you a good idea. You know, are they skeet shooting off the end of the runway like they do? Are there golf carts on the runway? Are there peacocks on the runway? All those things. So it's a multifaceted reason to do your flyover. Not too far from what Scott has. It's been a long time since I've flown in there. The 8-8 Delta. It's been a long I'm time I'm actually since supposed I to go have. flying with a buddy tomorrow. And I was going to try and go in there, but... Oh, definitely try to go in there. Well, I was going to try to, but it's probably a soggy mess right now. I went text Scott, see what the runway conditions are. Yeah, the resident weather expert on the 8-8 Delta. Yeah. Let's get a little METAR out of Scott. Yeah. On that note, um, we covered exotic birds. Um, I feel like... Barbara, you missed it all. She's back right now. Hey. Uh, Okay, I'll throw that in there somewhere, the exotic <laughs> birds and the actual thing. But we got to wrap it up. I went 17 minutes past what I thought I would. I got to work early in the morning and talk radios, not for aviation, but for maritime. Um, so I can't be too bad on the, whatever you call it. I've had a few drinks. Feeling good. Want to go to bed. Wake up early. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for hanging out with us. Uh, yes. post, uh, post episode chat. And um, hopefully I can make some couple, a main episode and a filler out of this is usually the goal once we do these live streams. Mm. Um, so yeah, thanks for hanging with us. Yes. Take care, everybody. Thanks, you guys. Take care. See you on Polygram. Oh yeah, see you on Polygram. See you guys. Dot com. Dot com. Yeah. <laughs>